Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm going to get that gun of mine, and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? Welcome to Girls on Film, the film review podcast from a female perspective. I'm your host, Anna Smith, and this episode is the latest of our isolation pods recorded in our virtual studio during lockdown. Today, I'm speaking to Kitty Green, the writer-director of a film called The Assistant, which is set for digital release on May the 1st. And I'll also be reviewing the film with critic Simran Hans. Inspired by real-life stories, The Assistant is a day in the life of an ambitious young woman, played by Julia Garner, who's working for a powerful, unnamed film producer. It's a fictional exploration of power dynamics in the workplace, as a low-level employee tries to reconcile her own beliefs with a deeply entrenched atmosphere of abuse and exploitation. The Assistance was due in cinemas on the 3rd of April, but following lockdown, it will now receive a digital release on the 1st of May, so you can watch it at home. I want those new pages before I get on the plane. He promised the first thing. Where are we at? 200k and two points. Maybe you can put in a good word for you. No, he'll hire externally. Listen, his schedule has shifted. Does 7 p.m. work? Still at the hotel or? Yes. What? This is turkey. I said chicken. <laughs> There's a girl waiting. Oh, her. She's been here before. A few times. What is it? The wife. Say he's in an important meeting. No, say he's in the screening. Where is he? What did you say to him? What did you say? They told me you were smart. I overreacted. It was not my place to question your decision. I will not let you down again. Well, hello, Kitty, and thank you so much for coming on to Girls on Film's latest isolation pod. Uh, thanks for having me. Oh, it's so lovely to have you here. I'm speaking to you from London. Uh, are you in Melbourne? Is that right? I am in Melbourne right now, yes. Strange time to be chatting. And how is isolation treating you over there? Um, it's, yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty consistent around across the globe. I don't know, it's been very quiet, but it's it's good, I guess. It's not, I've, I've been fortunate that, you know, we're safe and well and everything's okay. Exactly, that's the main thing. And um, for us and Girls on Film, it's a chance to connect with the listeners and talk to them about wonderful things to watch at home. And of course, The Assistant is one of those. Uh, but before we start talking about The Assistant, can you give the listeners a bit of background on you as a filmmaker? Oof, that's an interesting question. Um, I <laughs> I went to a fiction film school, actually. I studied filmmaking and made a few shorts, but after graduating, I found work in documentary. So I ended up making a couple of docs, some feature-length docs. One of them's about JonBenet Ramsey. It's on Netflix. It's called Casting JonBenet. And there's another one about a Ukrainian topless feminist movement called Ukraine is Not a Brothel. And yeah, this is my first narrative feature film. I watched uh, Casting JonBenet again yesterday. Wow. I think it's um, a fascinating approach to a very difficult subject. Yeah, I was looking at how, I mean, I was looking at the media's obsession with the case, essentially, and why that case is still kind of in the press the 20 years on, and what is it about that case that keeps people kind of attracted to it or talking about it, essentially. And so, yeah, I interviewed a bunch of people from her hometown about their recollections of it. And yeah, it was it was definitely an interesting experience, that's for sure. And what made you want to move into more feature film side rather than documentary with the assistant? 
Um, and it was specific to the project. I started working on something that was broadly about consent and, and gender um, and power. And I began by research basically on college campuses in the US, because at the time, that's where those conversations were being had. This is pre kind of the rise of the Me Too movement. And when the Weinstein story broke, I shifted focus to the film industry. And I spoke to a lot of people who worked in the film industry. But the reason I went with fiction, I think, with this one is because it really is a film about these kind of tiny moments, microaggressions, subtle kind of gestures and looks and behaviors that often kind of go unnoticed, I think, that I wanted to amplify and um, discuss. And you mentioned that you spoke to some real women who had stories about abuse and harassment and, as you say, some some quite kind of subtle kind of micro things. And I thought that was one of the things that interested me most about this film is that there's so many tiny little aggressive moments, but nothing that she feels she can really complain about. And that kind of abuse that just kind of builds and builds, but is very hard to pinpoint. Um, is that something that you discussed with a lot of the young women that you interviewed? Um, yeah, I was looking at the coverage of the Me Too movement and I was disappointed that it was it was so focused on the predators and the sort of sensationalist stories and the bad men especially. And I was thinking in order to fix this problem, we need to look at the kind of more structural and cultural problems to do with gender and the workplace and why women aren't being promoted into positions of power. So that became kind of my line of inquiry when I was chatting to young women was what is preventing you from climbing the ladder? Like what's getting in your way? When have you felt like you were treated unfairly at work. And so those kind of questions fueled the research process, which then kind of became the screenplay, which is sort of a day in the life of the youngest woman at a film production company, essentially, with a with a bad boss at the helm. And why did you decide to make it a day in her life? Because I think that's really successful structure, because personally, I was kind of on the edge of my seat. It's sort of a thriller in a way, because you're just watching it unfold minute by minute. But was that one of the reasons for that sort of tension that you chose that structure? I mean, I guess when I started working on it, I, I remember saying to a friend, oh, I'm making a film by an assistant to a predatory boss. And immediately he said, oh, the enablers. And I thought, well, that's an interesting word because it's a really complicated position that these young women were in. And I really want to explore the complexities of that and just how difficult it is to speak up about your concerns if you're in that position and who you can you trust and trying to the culture of silence at a company like that that she was working at. So that all of that fed into those decisions. And when you were interviewing people, did some people say, I can't believe I didn't complain? Because that seems to be a bit of a theme emerging, even myself, looking back to my own past and things that happened to me in the workplace when I was a young woman. There was a culture of acceptance and, oh, it's just men being men or that's just the way it is. But then you look back now and you think, I should have said something. I should have complained. I mean, I think we all saw over the past few years, there's just so many stories have come out in the media, how many people stayed quiet for so long, because we didn't really have, the, we didn't even have the language to discuss misconduct a few years ago. Like only now have we figured out how to address our concerns and, and have them kind of our voices heard, which is incredible. But yeah, I think there was a long period of time when women were being hurt and sidelined and, and no one was, was speaking about it. I think a lot of the young women I spoke to tried. And I think the lead character does try. She goes to see, but she's surprised to speak to a few people, but specifically like Matthew McFadden, who plays the HR representative, almost kind of gaslights her into thinking that she has no concerns at all. So I think it was important to me to show how how difficult it was to have your concerns heard or believed, essentially, in a you know, in an environment like that. Can I say, Kitty, the scene with Matthew McFadden is one of the best scenes I've seen in a very long time. I just thought it was extraordinary. Um he and Julia played off each other brilliantly. And it was so clever 
gaslighting is exactly right. The way that you get a sense that he is not on her side, but he is trying to manipulate her, but she's in a position of lack of power where she can't really do anything about it. And it really puts you in her possession in an incredibly gripping way. Let's have a listen to a clip from that particular scene. What's your plan? Sorry? Where do you want to be in five to ten years? Oh, uh, I I want to produce. I want to be a producer. You do? Yeah. <laughs> that's, okay, that's excellent. We could use more women producers. You know, that's a, you, it's a tough job, but I can see that you've got what it takes. Thanks. So why are you in here trying to throw it all away over this bullshit? Tell me a bit more about how that scene played out on set. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a it was a twelve page scene, so it was always kind of the biggest scene in the movie, essentially. And it was something I was really looking at. Well, first of all, to depict gaslighting in it, but also the second thing was the idea that HR companies are there to protect the company and not the employees. So once we got Matthew involved, to be honest, who is brilliant and wonderful and so incredible um the two of them kind of really took it places I think when we when we started going I think we did it again and again and again and they just it just became more and more insidious on his part essentially he's so creepy in that he's kind of calm cool and collected but yet kind of picking her argument apart bit by bit in a way that's really heartbreaking yeah I I hope he doesn't take this the wrong way but he's so good at being creepy (laughs) he's absolutely (laughs) brilliant at it um, but, you know, when I see him as succession lately as well, he's just absolutely, oh, he's amazing in that. Um, what, why did you think of him for this role? Oh, gosh, I'm not sure. He's just, he's brilliant. I've been a fan for a long time. I hadn't seen succession at the time. And so I, someone sent me a clip, I think, just before we started shooting. And I was like, oh, wow, yeah, okay. You know, like it sort of, it kind of works that the character is very similar to the character. They're slightly different, but, you know, there is some similarities there. So, yeah, it was, it was just wonderful to have, have work with him. Yeah. And t- let's talk about um, casting your lead, Julia Garner. I mean, she's absolutely tremendous actress and someone that you just, you're with her all the way for me in this film. Tell me more about the process of, of getting her on board. Yeah, I didn't have anyone in mind when I was writing it. And I gave, the ca- we worked with a casting agent who put together a list of names. And I sort of said to her, I wanted someone infinitely watchable because it's she's almost doing the most mundane tasks. She's like changing the coffee filter and like, photocopying essentially for the bulk of the movie so I needed her to be an interesting have an interesting look or be striking in some way she mentioned Julia who had seen in Ozark and the Americans and thought was incredible and we met and got along beautifully really well it was such a a wonderfully collaborative there's not much dialogue but so it's all written on her face so we had to spend a lot of time in like rehearsals chatting about kind of the trajectory the the emotional trajectory of the character like what she was feeling at any given moment so all of that was sort of discussed pre-shooting we shot in 18 days so it was such a quick shoot that we kind of had to be prepared what were the biggest challenges of doing such a quick shoot for you Oh, there are so many. I mean, you just don't have the time to really get a lot of coverage. Often there's a lot of scenes are like one shot scenes because we just didn't have the time to get a second shot. We had a great crew who understood the what we were trying to achieve with the film and understood the message of it. And women led. We had a first AD who's brilliant, who ran that set so beautifully. And yeah, I think we um we pulled it off. Is it important for you in general to have a women led crew? Um. I'm not sure, like, you know, with this one it was like, really because of what it was exploring. Like it was just important to make sure that people understood 
kind of what we were trying to say and they understood like what tone we want to set for our film set and film crew. Um, but then again, like my cinematographer's a male, but I've worked with him since film school. We used to be housemates in film school. So we kind of don't even need to communicate at this point. We know each other so well. So, you know, I just sort of, it is just finding the right group who could get it, what we're trying to do. Did it bring up some conversations on set? Did you find that um, once the camera stopped rolling, people were kind of talking about their own experiences? Oh, definitely. I mean, you do have a lot of those conversations. And to be honest, I've had a lot of those conversations after people have seen it, which has been even more like actually making the film is very, like it's all piecemeal. You're not really getting a sense of what, you don't really experience it until you sit through it, I think. It really was having the crew watch it and everyone together was really, it was really an important experience for us. But also just chatting to young women after they watch it has been really incredible and chatting to weirdly the most amazing reaction we've had is from a lot of bosses of companies who sort of come out of it saying well I'm going to treat my assistants better tomorrow you know which has been wonderful those kind of conversations need to be had that's absolutely brilliant how wonderful to be making a difference in that way yeah I mean it's a film that takes place in the film industry but I was very careful not to make it specific to the film industry in a way that excluded others I really felt like the character of Jane could work anywhere she's basically in an entry-level position doing administrative tasks. So I've had women who work in, like one work for a boat company, women that work in modeling and journalism, like women across the board who say, that's me. <laughs> I've experienced a lot of what she went through and have are really grateful to see it reflected back on screen and to have conversations about what's right and wrong and how we can improve things moving forward. So that's been incredible. Well, that's right. I mean, obviously you, you mentioned Me Too briefly and I'm involved in Time's Up over here in the UK. I think there's still a lot to be done, but how are you feeling about the way that we're moving as a world in terms of awareness of and, you know, fight the fight against this kind of abuse in the workplace? Um, I feel like it's getting a little better. I feel like we're having conversations we weren't having several years ago, which is great. I see my friends who are filmmakers and women getting opportunities I don't think they were getting before, but I still think there's a long way to go and I still think a lot of change needs to happen. And a lot of it is unpicking this cultural kind of toxic masculine behavior and things that things that often are more systemic and cultural is kind of what the film is sort of amplifying, these tiny little microaggressions that that are representative of like a very gendered system that we're all a part of so yeah I think the more conversations we can have like this the better like how can we make our workplaces more safe fair equitable moving forward definitely when you were starting out um, as a filmmaker did you ever find people judging you in a certain way or speaking to you in a certain way that you felt was gendered and it was because you're a woman Oh, always. I mean, not always, but a lot of the time. <laughs> I remember I arrived at Sundance a few years ago with a feature film and was so excited to be there. And the first question I got from a journalist was, who gives your, you your ideas? Is it James Seamus or Scott McCauley? And they were my male, two male producers at the time. And I was like, wait, who gives me oh my, my ideas? God. Yeah, it was really shocking that they thought I wasn't actually in control of my own work, even though I directed, wrote it, edited it. It was, it was absolutely bizarre. What did you say to them? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was just sort of taken aback by it. I think that sort of spurred me to want to make this project because it, partly I was like, these sort of questions undermine my self-confidence. They make me wonder whether I belong in this film industry. Like, what, is there a space for my voice here? Will people take me seriously as a director? So all those questions kind of do rattle you. And so that was something I wanted to explore, was just how gendered is the system? 
I feel very ashamed to be a journalist now if it was a journalist that asked you that question because it's just such a terrible yeah, question. Yeah, I got a lot. I know, exactly. There's a lot of... <laughs> when I could do round tables um, like in Cannes Film Festival and stuff and I see what other people ask sometimes and just say, oh my gosh, I'm not saying I'm the best interview, but I can't believe that some people ask some of the things of women, you know? It's pretty shocking sometimes. It's really, really shocking. I was on one with Julianne Moore in Cannes and the journalist went, this was about five, six years ago, a journalist went, Julianne, what's it like to be an older woman in Hollywood? It's <laughs> just yeah. like, what? Yeah. But no, I, th- I think you're right, that things are moving on. And um, tell us what's happening in your world. I mean, obviously at the moment, we're all having a, a pause and a chance to think about things. But in terms of your work, what's what's the next plan that you can share with us? Oh, I'm still figuring that out. I think the last, we're still kind of wrapping up the system. It's been kind of very, all this has been bizarre. So I'm still kind of figuring out what's next. But um, yeah, I'm excited to get the assistant out onto the digital, kind of getting people watching it and having it in people's living rooms is going to be, yeah, it's important. So I'm happy about that. Well, we've got it on a lot of places over here. We've got it on iTunes, Amazon, Sky, Virgin, Google, and Microsoft. And it's going to be on Curzon Home Cinema and the BFI Player as well. So all our listeners should be able to, to watch the assistant. Um, Now, Kitty, before you go, I wanted to ask you a little bit about other films to watch in isolation because we're all stuck at home and we all need great things to watch. Is there anything that you have been watching or that you'd recommend? Oh, gosh, I'm not sure I have a proper answer for that one. I've been doing a lot of jigsaw puzzles, actually. (laughs) I'm trying to take a break from cinema for a minute. I've heard they've soared in popularity, jigsaw puzzles. Do you you find them quite calming? Yeah, there's something about it, something good about a good puzzle. This, at this point in our lives, I think. The sense of completion, I suppose. You get you get a sense of like, hooray, I've actually achieved something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> One little thing. <laughs> and um, any other messages for our readers? Because we do have our readers, listeners, because we do have a lot of listeners that are wanting to get into film. They're young women who'd like to make films and they're facing problems perhaps similar that you had of people putting them down and saying you can't do it or having judgments about them based on their gender any words of encouragement for them what would I say I mean I don't know I like I went out and bought I was working as like a post-production assistant and I went out and bought a little DSLR and just started making films and these days people can make films on their phones which is even more handy but I just started making my own little move to Ukraine with my own little audio recorder and a camera and started making my own feature film and cut it on my laptop and that kind of got me where I am today essentially and got seen and got bought and so I was very fortunate but I really do encourage people to just go out there and make something like if you see a subject or something that interests you just you know follow it and shoot it and give it a shot I think kind of passion is what's important especially when you're starting out. You sound very driven. Are you driven? I don't know if driven is, I mean, I guess, aren't we, I mean, is that a bad thing? <laughs> it's a great thing. I'm like, I'm okay, so impressive that what you did, okay. you just did it all yourself. And I'm like, wow. I know. Yeah. I don't know. I, I kind of a bit of a tech nerd. I like, I like all the kind of equipment and the machine. So I guess I just kind of dived in, like, just gave it a shot and yeah, worked out for the well. I guess that's really useful, isn't it? If you want to start out in filmmaking and, and on a, a micro budget is to be really good with the tech. Yeah, definitely. Because it's hard. I think when you're starting out, it's hard to get people like a bigger kind of crew to work with you because they're still kind of unsure of what you're capable of. So the idea, if you can kind of do it yourself and get out there and shoot and cut and edit on your whatever little software and things like that, I think it's, yeah, just give it a shot. And did you, do you remember a point when you were younger when you thought, right, that's it. Filmmaking's for me, telling stories. That's what I want to do. I was 11, I think, when I um, asked for a video camera as a kid. And I think that was 
the point when I, as soon as I got it, I kind of knew that's what I wanted to do. And I started making little films in my backyard with my dolls, essentially. So you started making films at the age of 11. That's very impressive. I did. I was kind of fortunate enough that my grandmother wanted to go on the pension and had to get rid of a few hundred dollars and gave it to me. And I was able to (laughs) spend it on a video camera. So I was very lucky to be able to kind of go out and shoot and make stuff and figure out how to edit. What kind of stories did you make with your dolls? Crazy stuff, but yeah, you name it. I should digitize them. They're all in the tape somewhere in the back of my house. I should, you know, put together a, a, a Greatest Hits compilation. I would love to see that. We would, we would definitely <laughs> yeah. tweet about that. That would be brilliant. Exactly. The early years. Well, it's been such a pleasure talking to you, Kitty. Thank, Thank you. you so much for coming on Girls on Film and congratulations again on The Assistant and best of luck with the digital release. I hope everyone watches it. Thanks a lot. I wouldn't sit there. Never sit on the couch. <laughs> here and here, initial here, sign there. Do I need a lawyer or something? Do you have a lawyer? What's happened? Where are you going? Um, I was worried for this girl. <laughs> I mean, they were just like laughing about it. Can you deal with this? Hi, why me? Who was that? Oh, that waste of my time. Right, now to review The Assistant, I am very pleased to welcome back to Girls on Film the film critic Simran Hans. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for coming back to Girls on Film. You were on episode six, I think. Yeah, back in Glasgow. We talked about Wild Rose. Yes, and Ghostbusters and lots of other fun stuff. That was a great episode. So thank you so much for coming back. How are you How are you getting on in isolation? Well, you know, it's uh, it's ups and downs like everybody else. But um, I'm watching a lot of movies. So that is good, I think. Well, when I contacted you about The Assistant, you were very keen to discuss this one. And um, I was very pleased to hear that. I take it you're a fan. Yes, well, it's one of the last films that I saw in the cinema, so it's sort of quite vivid in my mind, and I'm really lucky to have been able to see it on a big screen. Um, But I was just blown away by this film, and I was surprised how little fanfare it had received and sort of how little I'd kind of heard about it going in. And, yeah, I watched it, and I was amazed. It's interesting that you say you saw it on the big screen, because I saw it on the small screen, and I think it works equally well, probably, but you do need to make sure that you're fully concentrating on this film because it's all about the detail. You're absolutely right. It is all about the details because it takes place over the course of one day in the life of this assistant. And um, you sort of get so little information about her character. Everything that is communicated to you is in the sort of documentary style telling of her day but we don't even really know her name I I don't think I don't think her name is mentioned yeah I think it's listed somewhere as Jane but I don't recall it being said and and that's one of the interesting things about the film is that she's sort of quite almost invisible to people around her and an anonymous figure for many of the people that she works with but we're seeing everything from her perspective and That's something incredibly absorbing about that when it's so well made and when it's so well filmed and so well performed. Do you think Kitty Green has brought something from her documentary background that makes this particular style so absorbing? Yeah, well, I think that's one of the most interesting things about the film is this 
documentary aspect of it and I know that in the research process behind the film she interviewed hundreds of women and so her her kind of methodology for making the film was also kind of quite documentarian and the way that she sort of observes all of these tiny microaggressions and frustrating things that happen throughout the day but in this quite detached dispassionate way I think it kind of makes it all the more powerful I was thinking about another film that sort of tried to tackle the the me too movement happening in the film industry Uh, I was thinking about Bombshell a film that I don't think is anywhere near as successful and I think it's because in that film all of the drama is so amplified and so kind of over-egged as if to say like we need to make you care. We need to do all these things and manipulate the story and make it dramatic. And I think what's interesting about what Kitty Green is doing is she's showing something that's very kind of quotidian and very mundane. And there is sort of like drama in the day, but it's all very kind of minute. And the fact that she doesn't feel the need to kind of over-egg any of it and just encourages you to just watch and observe and pay attention and you realise kind of how insidious the everyday has become for this young woman's life. I think that is all the more kind of chilling and effective. Chilling is the right word and I think Matthew McFadden's performance was definitely chilling. That extraordinary scene where he as the HR manager interviews Julia Garner's character and sort of gradually tries to convince her that she's making a fuss about nothing, that the complaint she's bringing to him is more of a reflection of her own insecurity and jealousy. And he actually manages to end it by making her feel unattractive. And I thought there's so many different levels of sexism going on there within that one conversation. I thought it was incredibly powerful, unfortunately very familiar and very revealing. How did you relate to that scene? Well, I thought... Something that um, I really like about this film is that it's looking at the mechanics of power and, and looking at sexism in the film industry, but it's looking at it from the perspective of sort of the bottom up. It's going with the entry level job. It's going with the people who are first in the office and last out. It's not looking at the kind of high powered women and, and how they're being affected, but the the people with the least power. I also thought that that scene was so heartbreaking because Julia Garner, um, the main character, her face is so expressive, but she actually says very little. And so you kind of get this sense of humiliation, but also in a split second, trying to kind of obscure that and stay professional at work and kind of not react because you don't want to make the situation worse or escalate anything. And having to do the mental gymnastics of having an emotional response or being treated in this sort of really condescending way and trying to also save face, I thought that was really, really interesting, all the kind of things that she was doing with her expression and with just her eyes. I think, unfortunately, a lot of people listening to this will relate to that, especially when you're younger and you're starting out and everything's resting on this job. So naturally, you're going to be emotional if you're having a conversation which could make or break it. And then you play everything else in that's going on in that scene. It's extraordinary. I don't know what your experience of working is in offices, particularly, um, because obviously you're freelance film critic like myself. But did you relate to much in terms of the early days of your career? Interestingly, not in a direct way. I mean, I I have worked in an office before, but it was actually within an all-female team. And so my experience was quite different. But of course, working in film, 
you're around a lot of people with a lot of power and the people with less power, those jobs have like a very quick turnover. I What I liked about this film is that you got the sense of um, she wasn't that important and she could be easily replaced. Um, and I've definitely sort of felt like that when I was uh, less established in, in my own field. That's sad to hear, but that's, that's very interesting, isn't it? And I think, yeah, I think it resonates across a lot of different industries. It's interesting to note that some people are describing this as a thriller. And I think in a sense, it is a thriller because you're absolutely gripped. But if you looked at the plot on paper, you wouldn't say it's got a typical thriller plot. What do you think about that? I do think there is this kind of very dramatic thriller-esque quality that it has. And part of that is the fact that there's no score um, that's something that's really interesting about this film is that there's no no music really. Um, it's just sort of the noise of the office and people talking, but there's a lot of kind of silence and emptiness and that creates this very strange tension. And yeah, you're sort of like pushing towards the end of her day and you're kind of thinking what's going to happen are the risks that she's sort of thinking about taking going to be worth it? And it does kind of keep you on the edge of your seat in that sense. Um, who would you recommend this film to, Simon? I, I would recommend this film to anyone, really. Um, anybody who's worked in an office and, and maybe thinks that their office is progressive or thinks that they're not complicit or culpable, I think will find this really interesting and, and we'll sort of see similarities that play out in all sorts of different industries. But also just anybody who is interested in, in drama. I mean, this film reminded me a lot of um, Chantal Ackerman's film Jean Dielman because of the sort of static setups of the camera and how you're kind of immersed in one person's world. And I think anybody who's sort of particularly interested in art house films will really get a lot out of the kind of formal qualities of, of this film. And I think for Kitty to have not made a straight documentary, actually, and, and made something that was more searching in a way and, and more ambiguous, it's really interesting that she hasn't kind of taken a, a mainstream approach. She hasn't used lots of really famous actors and she's kind of gone for this really anonymous character. I really respect that about her approach. Yeah, I feel like she's doing justice to the real life women who have suffered these kind of experiences that she spoke to. And it was fascinating speaking to her about that on Girls on Film. The only other thing I would say about this film is that it's got an 80 minute runtime. It's really tight. And um, there's so much storytelling and so much exposition that kind of happens visually. I think it would be really interesting to watch if you were thinking about making films yourself because it's such a feat of economy and she is able to communicate so much information with so sort of few words. I think a lot of filmmakers could kind of take a leaf out of her book. Brilliant. So Simran, thanks for joining me to talk about The Assistant. And I also asked you to recommend a couple of other films for people to watch at home at the moment. What's your first choice? Um, so my first choice is a film called Crossing Delancey. I love this film. It was directed by Joan Micklin-Silver. It's from 1988. It's based on a play by Susan Sandler. Um, it stars Amy Irving. And it's a kind of late 80s, very New York romantic comedy set in the Lower East Side. And it's about this woman. Her name's Isabel. She's 33. She's got her own apartment. She works in the bookstore and she does these kind of fancy literary events and literary salons. So she's got a typical rom-com useless job. Um, <laughs> no offence to any literary assistants out there. Um, and... Uh, She's single, but she has a lot of friends and she has this great 
life and her grandmother who she goes to see every week is just absolutely aghast at the fact that she's not married and so sets her up with this marriage broker this really kind of like typical old school Jewish marriage broker who tries to set her up with this guy who runs a pickle shop and so it's all about her kind of on one hand wanting to maintain her independence and flirting with this guy who's a poet and he's really pretentious and then there's the humble pickle guy who's trying to win her over and it's just a really kind of lovely really sweet romantic comedy and I saw it at the BFI a couple of years ago and uh, it was such a kind of cherished viewing and then uh, I was kind of craving to watch it again and I saw it's on Amazon Prime available to rent so I- I'd really recommend um, checking that out. The grandma is so great she's such like a typical Jewish bubby so yeah it's a real comfort watch if if anybody's kind of interested in something like that. Let's have a listen to a clip from Crossing Delancey. Guess who I called the other day? Picked up the phone and called on his private number, Isaac Singer. You know Isaac Bashevis Singer? He won the Nobel Prize. I called him on his unlisted number. He knows me. I know lots of famous writers and publishers and editors. I organize the most prestigious reading series in New York. Me, I do it. And I have plenty of friends, lots of women who are doing tremendous things with their lives and don't need a, a man to feel complete. It's not like I'm gonna say no if someone walks into my life tomorrow. I'm not canceling out that possibility. But Bubby, please listen to me. I am not, I repeat, not holding my breath. (laughs) A professor once said, a college professor, no matter how much money you got, if you're alone, you're sick. Well, it's interesting you picked this one out because I thought I knew a bit about rom-coms, but I actually haven't seen this one. So I am very intrigued to have your recommendation. I am going to be renting that and watching it. It looks like it kind of fits into the canon quite well. Like, a, I don't know, When Harry Met Sally may not be the best comparison, but those kind of films from that era... Yeah, I mean, like, it kind of, When Harry Met Sally, it kind of slightly in that category, but I think it's more in the vein of something like Claudia Vile's Girlfriends or Paul Mazursky's An Unmarried Woman, these sort of slightly older female protagonists, not old, but sort of like in their 30s rather than in their 20s and, and kind of very downtown New York, which, you know, is somewhere that I always want to escape to when I'm watching movies. Thank you for that recommendation. The second one is a film I've seen and enjoyed. It's Diana Kennedy, Nothing Fancy, directed by Elizabeth Carroll, and that's coming out on the 1st of May. Let's have a listen to a clip. Diana Kennedy's knowledge and passion for Mexican cooking is unsurpassed. She's a legend. <laughs> she is a prophet for Mexican food. Put it in context. I'm old, okay? <laughs> was like an Indiana Jones of food, trying to search for that precious gem. How do you express this recipe so that people can do it, so that it won't be lost? She put on thousands of miles doing her research. It's all been gentrified. It's appalling. Mexico is importing chilies. Read my books and learn, please. What are you going to do when I'm gone? Who else is going to start screaming? This is a wonderful documentary, isn't it, about a a chef and book author? 
Yeah, so Diana Kennedy, I didn't really know very much about her until I watched this film and then I sort of spent a whole afternoon reading old New Yorker articles about her. She's a British chef and what I guess she'd probably describe herself more as a cook than a chef and a cookbook author who transplanted to Mexico and kind of spent her life travelling around the country and talking to lots of grandmothers and sort of women in villages and and learning how to cook from them and she's sort of all about the authenticity of Mexican food and kind of thinking about it from an anthropological point of view and she's such a great character as well she's so spiky and rude and sweary and kind of no nonsense she's quite old now she's in her 90s I think and she sort of wears these leather trousers and um you know she's sort of still got so much life and so much zest in her I really kind of enjoyed hearing about her her lifestyle and and hearing about this really alternative life that she's built for herself in Mexico you know she's really inspirational in the sense that she even in her sort of older age she's still so obsessed with pleasure and with eating well and you know having lots of flavor and, and and kind of living a good life She is the kind of person I want to watch right now because I think there's something so inspiring about seeing a woman who has led a long life exactly to only her own specifications. You know, she has played out exactly as she wants to play it out. She's totally uncompromising. She's finding a great deal of joy in life. She's a fabulous character to watch. And I thought this was a really loving tribute, again, from a female director debut director actually I'd love to see what she does next it's really good there's also a great guacamole recipe in there so um if you know anybody's needing some lockdown cooking inspiration she's got you sorted well, she's very specific about what what does and doesn't go into guacamole isn't she in the end <laughs> thank you for choosing that one I I really enjoyed watching it and I, I think our listeners will too Simran thank you so much for coming back on Girls on Film is there anything else that you're working on that you'd like to share with the listeners at the moment um, just keep reading The Observer every every Sunday and um, you'll see me in there every other week. Brilliant. Best of luck for the rest of your lockdown and your work. And I look forward to reading next week's column. Thank you. Bye, Anna. Thanks for listening to Girls on Film and thanks to Hedda Archibald of HLA Productions for producing, Jane Long for audio producing, our intern Heather Dempsey, Vertigo for partnering on this episode. Girls on Film has a Patreon page to support us. You can go to patreon.com forward slash girls on film podcast. Don't forget you can follow us on Twitter at girls on film underscore pod and Instagram on girls on film underscore podcast. Girls on Film is starting three special filmed episodes on the BFI YouTube channel with amazing guests and fun film reviews. Look out for our first one on May the 5th. Keep an eye on our socials for details. Please subscribe and review us if you enjoy this episode. And finally, a big thanks to Kitty Green and Simran Hans for joining us on our latest Girls on Film isolation pod. Stay safe, everyone. What can we do? Do about what?